Well, first of all, um, we're grateful for the Lord, and we're grateful for the men here. As I look around the room and as I think about some of the men here and as I prepared for this morning's service, I said, man, we've got some really good men in this church. Amen. That's right. That's right, Paul. We've got some really good men in this church. Men that honor their families, men that honor the Lord, men that are willing to do the floss at vacation Bible school. They, hey, we've we've got it all. We've got men in this church that are committed to their families, committed to worshiping the Lord, committed to reading the scriptures and studying through the scriptures. But if you can think about something in your life, think about the thing, if God were to change it in your life, how that would help you to mature as a Christian. Let me rephrase that question. Think about the thing in your life that keeps you from having a truly intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't say it out loud. I want you to think about it. Because there is no person in this room that wants to be enslaved by sin. Everyone wants to be free. And when I think about freedom, I think about a term, it's called the turning of the tide. Now, I've got to be careful when I say that because all the Alabama fans automatically start thinking about what? Roll tide. See, I knew it. I knew it. So anytime you say anything, tide, roll tide, yule tide, anything, they just start thinking about that. (laughs) But we're going to talk about turning of the tide, turning of the tide. This is a moment in your life that involves a significant turn from one point in your life to changing direction to another point in your life. And so as we look at the scripture this morning, before I jump into the scripture, there are things that we want to see change in our lives. We want to see uh, continual bad decisions. We want to change those to guidance from God through prayer. I hate making bad decisions. And I start beating myself up about it. But the the reality is the source or the remedy to that is guidance from God through prayer. Look at the scriptures, Psalms 32 and 8. This is what it says. This is what God says. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way in which you should go. Meaning, he's right there by you, willing to instruct you in the way that you should go. Not only that, he says this. He says, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So that means as he's sharing with you his heart, he's watching you and saying, nope, don't go there. Go back over here. Nope, that looks appealing, but go back out of here. Go back over here. And so God is counseling you with his heart. He says, I want to do that for you. I want to take you from having bad decisions to making decisions that are rooted in prayer turning of the tide. He not only wants to do that, but he also wants to take unsuccessful fathers and make them successful mentors, guides, and teachers. He wants to take unsuccessful fathers and make them successful mentors, guides, and teachers. He wants to turn the tide in your life. This is what the scripture says in Ephesians 6 and 4. It says, Father, and this is out of the Message Bible, 
Fathers, do not exasperate, exasperate uh, that means irritate or annoy your children by, becoming, by coming down hard on them. He says this, take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. So fathers, and sometimes we remember how we were raised. My daddy beat me, so I'm going to beat my kids. My daddy drank, so I'm going to drink. My daddy showed us how to, hard, have, how to work hard and kept us out in the field for 12 hours a day. So now my kid's going to do the same thing. And so we don't see the results of that. And so what we need is God's guidance. And we need God to show us how to go from an unsuccessful father to a successful God mentor and teacher. The next point. We want to go from an addiction-filled life to a spirit-led life of self-control. Man, can I get somebody saying amen right there? Amen. There are times in our lives we make some really bad decisions and we start doing things or we get addicted to things that are not of God and we start following that and looking for pleasure in that rather than going to the only true and living God and allowing his spirit to lead us and guide us. And so in Romans 13, verses 13 and 14, it says this, Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife uh, and in jealousy, but this is what he says in verse 14. I love this verse. He says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. You see, if I'm going to go from an addiction-filled life to a spirit-filled life, I, at some point, I've got to take ownership of that process. I've got to say, Lord, would you invade my life, allow the spirit to overtake my life, would the word of God be continually replayed in my mind so that I don't fall for myself and for the next generation? Amen? Amen. The next point here. And to turn the tide in my life, and this is going to touch a lot of people, I want to turn from suicidal thoughts to having the mind of Christ. You know, the enemy will start playing tricks in your mind and get you thinking that you're worth nothing, nobody loves you, nobody cares, why don't you just end it, leave it right here, they would be better off without you, and that's not what God's Word says. He tells us to have the mind of Christ. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so when I do that, and I let the mind of Christ live in me, I know that I have a life of purpose. I know that I have a life that is filled with joy when I'm serving the Father in the right capacity. Amen? Amen. So from suicidal thoughts to having the mind of Christ. The next one. Uh-oh. Struggling with gender identity to understanding how God made men and females. You don't want to talk about it, but I guarantee you it is right on your doorstep. We have to understand that the only way that we can get to where God desires for us to be is to have the mind of Christ understanding what God has said about everything in our lives, how he created males and females in Genesis. He talks about, I created male and female. And so, and understanding what the purpose of that union was. 
We need to turn the tide. We need to turn the tide of this generation, our families, our lives, so that we can be pleasing unto the Father. Next thing, we want to turn the tide from a discontent lifestyle to contentment in every situation. Boy, my neighbor got a boat. That boat sure looked good. Boy, I want, I want one of them boats. And man, every thought that is continually on your mind, man, I like that boat. Brother, man, what kind of wax you use on it? What kind of engine in it? I like it. Man, I just, I just want, I just, I just, and I look at my own situation. I can't be content in it. I can't be content because I'm always thinking about what someone else has and why has it God did that for me and, 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 and why don't I make that much money or, or I need to get a second job to do that. We need to go from discontentment to contentment in every situation. And then there is one last point that I was thinking of on my way in and it's not in your notes, but I want you to write it down. Because I see a lot of people who struggle with this particular issue. From unforgiveness to forgiveness. You see, the reality is most of us are still in the situation we're in because you can't forgive somebody. Somebody, yeah, just think about it. You know who I'm talking about. It's already on your mind. You know somebody who did you wrong, and man, you just cannot get over it, whether it's your father, whether it's your mother, whether there are good close friends in your life, and someone has did you wrong, but God is saying today, hey, you need to turn the tide. You need to turn the tide. Put it, lay it at the altar. Forget about it. It's done. It's finished. I've forgiven you. You forgive them. Let's move on in the purpose for which I called you to. Amen? So as I looked at those questions and I looked at those statements, I start thinking about the scripture, and I said, Lord, where, where in Scripture does it talk about turning the tide? Where, where are there points or where is an example in Scripture that I can learn about how or what it takes to turn the tide and how long does it take? And, and Lord, how do I get these things out of my life and how, how do I move forward, not only myself but also with my family? How do I get to that point? And the first person that came to my, my mind is Jesus Christ. He turned the tide. He turned the tide that took you from death and hell to raise to walk in the newness of life. He took you from a miserable life of eternity to a life living with the fathers. He did that for you. He did it. He did it. He did it. He did it for each and every one of us. And we are so grateful. And the person that came to mind second is a gentleman by the name of Asa. If you could turn in your Bibles to second... Second Chronicles. I almost did a, a media for two Chronicles. I almost did that. <laughs> y'all remember that. Some of y'all get that. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. And before I go here, there are actually two, um, two instances in Scripture where it talks about Asa and talks about his family. Uh, first, it talks about, and in 1 Kings chapter 15, verses 9 through 15, and then it also talks about him in 2 Chronicles, chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. But I've got I've to, before, before we move on to the points, I've got to give you some background on where Asa came from and how he came to be in the situation that he was in. 
Asa was the fourth king of Israel, of, of Judah. Asa was the grandson of Solomon. And so as Solomon reigned, he, Solomon was the son of King David. And so as Solomon reigned, Solomon was one of the wisest men uh, in the world. He was the wisest man in the world, the Bible says. And that he would distribute wisdom. People would come from all over to hear the wisdom of Solomon. They would be enamored by all the gold things and all the silver and all the, I mean, just, just everything. People say, you know, they were blessed to sit in the council of Solomon because he always, you know, imputed wise words to his people. And so Solomon was really, really a good king. Well, things start changing for Solomon. The Bible says that Solomon's heart began to change because he started bringing on uh, foreign wives or strange wives. And as he listened to them and as he, as he allowed himself to, to yield to their desires, he started worshiping foreign gods. He started allowing them to set up altars and, and started allowing them to set up places of worship and allowing them to bring prostitution into places of holiness. And so Solomon had compromised his relationship with the Lord. Listen to what it says in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 33. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 3. Listen to what it says. He says, because they have forsaken me and have worshiped Ashtoreth, the god of the Sidonians, Shamash, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the sons of Amnon, and they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and observing my statues and my ordinances, as his father David did. And so what God did, he said, Solomon, man, I am so disappointed in you. He said, but I promised David that I would allow a king to remain on the throne. He says, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to strip away some of the kingdom from you. I'm going to strip away. You're going to have Judah, and I'm going to give the other portion of that to someone else. He said, man, I, I just really, 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 really uh, am upset about the way Solomon turned out. So he says, I'm not going to do it to you. He said, I'm going to do it to your son. He says... Uh, I'm going to give Rehoboam the kingdom. That was the next king in the line of kings. Rehoboam, I'm going to give it to Rehoboam. And Rehoboam uh, took the kingdom, made some bad decisions, listened to wise counsel, and fell into the trap that his father did. Isn't it interesting the way our children will fight battles that they never brought upon themselves? You see, Rehoboam wasn't fighting battles that he created. He was fighting battles that Solomon created. And for dads in our lives, man, we see that all the time. Like, man, why did I do that? We've created some bad situations in our lives, and, and our children are dealing with stuff that we know in our heart we allow to happen. But guess what? There's forgiveness in that. This ain't a beat-up daddy day, I guarantee you. But we've got to understand what is the biblical solution for turning the tide in our families. Amen. We've got to understand that. So here it is. So Rehoboam becomes a king. He does bad. 
Abijah next, his son becomes king. He also, following in the footsteps of his father, he does bad. And then as Abijah passes away, Asa becomes the king. And this is what happened in, in First Kings, uh, and so I'm, I'm sorry, in Second Chronicles, a prophet comes up, and his name was Azariah. And Azariah comes up and he says, let me tell you something, Asa. He says, let me tell you something. He said, if you're with the Lord, he'll be with you. It's enough of this bad king stuff, following after the ways of your father. He said, but if you're with the Lord, he will remain with you. And so here we are. That's what we pick up in Scripture, 2 Chronicles chapter 14, 14, verses 1 through 7. And the Scripture reads, So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And his son Asa became king in his place, and the land was undisturbed for ten years during his days. Asa did what did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God, for he removed the foreign altars and the high places, tore down sacred pillars, and cut down the Shurim, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. He built fortified cities in Judah. Since the land was undisturbed, there was no one at war with him during those years because the Lord had given him rest. For he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers and gates and bars and the land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God and we have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. Listen to what it says in verse 7. What does it say? So they built and prospered after they turned to the Lord. So now, so what are the key points for today? What are the key points? What can we take away? How can we go from a life that is being tossed and turned, but now to turn the tide of our family? Number one, he honored the Lord with his actions. He honored the Lord with his actions. When I say honored the Lord with his action, that word may seem foreign to most of us. And so you may be saying, well, what do you really mean by honoring the Lord uh, with his actions? He removed things that were in direct opposition to what God called him to do. He removed them. He said for himself, I can no longer live like this. When Azariah came and told him the word of God, he says, there is something that I need to do. There is a decision that I have to make. And I know that decision takes courage, but I'm willing to do what, it needs to, what I need to do to turn the tide of this nation. And he did it. So as we look at our own lives, how do we honor the Lord? What is it in your house that you need to remove? Is it movies? Songs, computer, cigarettes, alcohol. What, what is it? it? It's different for everyone. Is it, is it jealousy? Is it pride? Is it envy? Is it, is it are, are those things that are keeping you from having a mature relationship with the Lord? What is it? And God told Asa, remove it. Get it out. You can't live like this any longer. Remove this from your presence. These things are hindering you from getting closer to me. Amen? So that's the first thing. 
He honored the Lord with his actions. Second thing is he had a relationship with the Lord. What, Pastor Ken, how do, you, how do you get that had a relationship with the Lord? As you can look in verse 2, it says, Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord. What does it say? His God. He said, hey, this is my God. My God. This is my God. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. This is my God. He didn't say the God of David and the God of Abijah. He didn't say that. He said, my God. This is his God. Listen, you, if you desire a long-lasting relationship with the Lord and to be able to turn the tide in your family and in your personal life, you have to have a personal relationship with the Father don't deny him. He's my God. When we were singing that song, my God is awesome, he's my God. He's my God. He watches out for me. Jesus is interceding for me. He's protecting me. He's guiding me. He's leading me. He is doing everything I need. He's my God. He's my God. So number one, he honored the Lord. He had a relationship. Number two, he had a relationship with the Lord. And then number three, he sought the approval of God and not man. You've got you've to think about this particular scripture because for about 30 years, the people have been in rebellion against God. 30 years rebellion. And he says this. He says, listen, I've got to turn the tide in my family. But man, these people have been at it for 30, 30 years. And, and, and I've got to go face these people. And, and Azariah says, hey, take courage and go tell them. And so he's got to go to these people that have been in it for 30 long years in sin. And he's got to tell them, hey, God is saying we need to turn from this. We need to stop this. And many of us in our lives, the reason why change doesn't happen is because we're afraid we're going to offend someone. You ain't got to say amen. We're afraid we're going to offend somebody. If I turn around and leave this movie right now and I know profanities in it, they're not going to like me. If I turn this TV show off right now, this is one of my wife's favorite TV shows, but if I turn it off right now, she's going to get angry with me. Don't touch that. There it is, MC Hammer. <laughs> Don't touch it. Don't touch it. You see, if you want to live a life that is pleasing unto God, that is suited for ministry for the Lord, and I'm not saying that everybody's perfect, and we're not all going to be perfect until we reach eternity, if we are in Christ Jesus. Life is not perfect, but what God is calling us to do, he's calling us to stand up for righteousness. If you know what's right, do what's right. Walk in the word. Remove the evil from your lives. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to know the word and continue to walk in a different direction. Amen. It doesn't make sense. God telling you, he said, hey, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Don't, don't go near that person. Don't go over their house. And you're saying, well, God, I, I'm strong enough. I can do it. No, don't do that. Don't give that person your money. Don't get in that kind of debt. Don't do this. And, and you're saying, God, I know better. And he's saying, no, you don't. 
trust me. You know, one of the things I think about uh, is an exercise that we do in the military. Many of my Marine brethren I know will know this. Uh, there's a thing called red and blue, or uh, we fight aggressors against the enemy, and, we, and it's what it's called. It's called a game. We game the situation. So whenever the United States military goes up against or prepares to go up against an enemy, they will game the situation. And what they'll have on one side, they'll have blue forces. And those blue forces are the friendly forces. Okay? They're all the friendly forces, and, and they are using all the strategies that the current military uses. And so they're using all the tools. But on this side, there's a red force. And the red team is the enemy. But they're people from over there. So they know all of their tactics. They know all of the weapons. They know everything that they're going to do. They even know the strategy that they're going to use. And so what they do is when they start the game, the, the opposition or the friendly start attacking the enemy. But since the enemy knows their tactics, they can start maneuvering. And so this person in the game, they've got to overcome all of the strategies that the enemy is throwing out to achieve victory. Do you not know that there is also in the spiritual a blue team and a red team? The blue team are those that are in Christ, that know God, but then there are also people or one person, and that person is the devil on the red team. He knows the strategy. He knows the strategy. He knows your next move. He knows what you're going to try to do. He knows exactly your next move. You know why? Because he used to be one of God's own. He knows. But the best thing about the game is this. There's a person in the middle, and he sees everything that's going on in the game. Now, the person in the middle knows how everything is going to turn out in the game. And sometimes he, in the game, will give instructions to the blue team. Or he'll give instructions to the red team. But in the end, he is going to allow what happens to happen so that we can win the game. That's our father. He sees the game. He says, Bartell, don't go over there. They're trying to go up here. You go back here. And Bartell may not understand why he says go this way. But he says, I got a view of the whole game from up here. I see everything. You see, God doesn't want bad for you. He wants what's good for you. All things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. He wants the good for you. Amen? All right. The next point. So he honored the Lord with his actions. He had a relationship with the Lord. He sought the approval of God and not man. Number four, he commanded the people to seek the Lord and observe the law. 
He commanded the people to seek the Lord and observe the law. He says, hey, we've got to stop this foolishness. We need to turn back to the law of the Lord. We need to listen to his word. We need to continue to read his decrees. We need to keep his commandments. We need to hold our festivals. We need to turn ourselves back to the law. And now in any situation, you would have said, man, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. But guess what? Here's a quote. An honest man will always gain the respect and favor with others. If you are honest in your dealings, honest in what you're saying, honest in your actions with others, you will always gain the respect of other people. And he's saying to himself, I know we've been living this way for a long time, but it's time for us to return to God. Turning of the tide. Last point. And this is going to blow you away here. I love this last point. After he instituted change, after he solidified his relationship with the Lord, after all these things happened, number five, he built an environment that protected them from the enemy and prepared them for battle. You see, after, after I uh, start following the Lord, you've got to know that there are going to be enemies that come after you. You've got to know that. You've got to know that the enemy's going to be hot on your trail. When you come down and give your life to Jesus Christ, you've got to know that he's going to say, all right, all right, well, wait, wait till you get outside. Wait till you get home. Wait, wait, you just wait. Wait till payday. I'm, I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. So you've got to understand that he is going to be hot on your trail. But guess what? You've already got the victory. Already. And so Asa says, I need to build fortify." things around my family. I need to put controls on my internet. I need to make sure that we're not looking at things. I got controls on my cable. I got things in place so that we don't fall to the devices of the enemy. You got to build an environment. Men, you need to build an environment. Everybody's waiting on you to build the environment. Papa, Grandpa, same thing. You're at your daughter's house. You're at your son's house. Something comes up that's not appropriate. Guess what? Stand up. Build the wall. This is not going to happen. Not in our season. Mamas, I know that's hard. That's my baby. I love my baby. Ain't no way I can do that. Got to build a wall. Because if you allow that, you allow something else. And then what, you know what they'll do? They'll throw it back in your face. Well, mama, you, told, you, let me, you let him sleep here when we weren't married. Throw it back in your face. How can you, call, how can you say this about me when you did this? You got to stand for what the Lord calls us to do as believers in his word. Amen. You want to turn the tide of your family? Submit yourself. Amen. Submit yourself. And so as we prepare for the invitation today, I, wanna, I, I just want to pose the question to you. What's it going to take? What's it going to take to turn the tide in your family? Now, today, I'm preaching from the Word of God, so you, you've got an option. You can listen to God and say, you know what, God, I'm going to go ahead and do this. You know what? Or what do you think else is going to happen? God is going to say, you know what, because you love me and because I love you, 
because you said you want to be my child and I want to be your father, I'm going to help you to get back on the right track. And guess what? Sometimes that is very, very painful. So guys, I don't know about you. Ladies, I don't know about you. But the tide needs to be turned. There needs to be a decision that you make in your life and says, Lord, today, no more am I going to walk in this path. No more am I going to live this way. No more am I going to allow my family to walk in a way that's unpleasing to you. God, I am submitting myself unto you. You want to see things change in your family? You do that. Do that. And allow the Lord to do the work. Allow him to do the work. Listen, he loves you. He cares about you. He wants the best for you. But guess what? He's not going to force you. He's not going to force you. And you've got to be willing to lay everything that you have on the altar of God and say, God, I'm ready to turn. I'm tired. I'm tired of living the way I'm living. And things may look fine on the outside, but on the inside, you know you toe up. You know it. And things won't get right. You will never have peace until you submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ. And so as we pray, if that's you this morning, pastors. We're going to have some pastors at the end of the highway. And maybe you just say, man, I, I need to come get my life right with Christ. I need to have a relationship with him. They'll be willing to talk to you. Or maybe you're here and you say, well, Pastor Kent, I'm saved, but I just really, I got off track. I listened to people. I compromised. But come lay yourself on the altar. Turn the tide of your relationship with the Lord. Allow the Lord to look at your life. Say, you know what, man? pleased with him. I'm pleased with her because they're listening to the voice of the Lord. So as we pray, our men are moving in place. And if the Lord is leading you, listen, if you're playing games, don't come down here. Please don't come. If you are serious about having a right relationship, these are the people that we want to see at the altar. Not just me. The Lord wants to see you at the altar.